Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, a business examiner news group podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode's special guest is the new president and CEO of Frontline Real Estate Services, a boutique commercial real estate brokerage operating in the Fraser Valley. He speaks on his approach to a major leadership transition, Fraser Valley Market Insights, unique approaches developers are taking to manage density constraints, and much more. Our conversation starts now. I'm Amin Bayani, and I'm the president and CEO of Frontline Real Estate Services. Frontline's a boutique commercial real estate company based in the Fraser Valley, and we're particularly strong in two disciplines, one being land and the other being industrial. Amin, I've been very excited to chat with you for a couple of weeks now. And you know what's brought this conversation about is that you are relatively new to the role. Uh, in the preamble here, we talked that you had started in November. And I'm wondering if you can just give me a little bit of a background about the steps in your career that led you to this role at Frontline and kind of how you plan to use those past experiences to drive this business into a new, uh, uh, to a new season. Sure. Well, I, I was introduced to Frontline in 2014 uh, when the founders asked me to help them uh, with their corporate development. I became chairman of their advisory board and I've always been on speed dial in a voluntary capacity to these guys. And the opportunity to become president and CEO came last year during an informal discussion with one of the co-founders, Justin Mitchell, who by 2017 had assumed the company and brought in new shareholders. During our discussion of, of where the company was at that time and where the company needed to go, it was clear that they needed to bring in some professional leadership. And that's sort of how the whole process came about. It was important, however, that we did a proper, or the company rather, did a proper process. And so they engaged an executive search firm, blanketed the, the lower mainland or whatever area they did. And from that process, um, I emerged as the candidate that they wanted to bring on board. I've been very fortunate in my career in that I worked for one of the largest global real estate companies in the world, Callers International, which a lot of folks would have heard by. Um, and when I joined them, they were just starting to really take flight. I, I joined at a time where they were considered, I'll say, the Goldman Sachs of our industry. Revenues at the time for them were less than $200 million and climbed to 1.2 billion by the time I left, uh, you know, 18 years uh, after. And that's a really short period of time, relatively speaking. When I started, I spent five years in the investment brokerage division, and then the remaining time, what I spent in the corporate group, uh, which at that time was led by its co-founder, president CEO at the time, John McLernan. And I was lucky to spend some years following John around with a mop and, uh, and then work closely with his successor, Doug Fry, who was U.S.-based. This gave me a huge insight into how a CEO operates, what they consider when they're looking at different opportunities and strategies and what, what goes into all of that, that thinking. And 
during my time at the corporate group, I was able to play both a defensive role as corporate secretary, because I assumed that uh, role uh, during my time there, and then subsequently an offensive role as VP of global corporate development. And you see a lot of things when you're in a company that has such accelerated growth. So that, along with my experience of being in the trenches in brokerage, I think gives me a unique insight into what it takes to to run a brokerage company. So, you know, you've been in this business now for eight-ish months. And, you know, you talked a little bit about making some changes up front. And I want to ask you about culture. You know, you're in a business that seems to be prioritizing growth, but culture is obviously plays a huge role in that. So I'm wondering if you can just talk about how you are or have been focusing on shaping the culture and values. Are there key principles or values you believe that are critical for taking an organization to the next level? Yeah, absolutely. I'm fortunate in that it's not a wholesale robust change that we have to make at Frontline. Frontline already has a great culture. So it's a question of protecting and growing what's already in place. And the principles in which the company abide by, you know, respect, integrity, knowledge, best practice, collaboration, uh, generosity, um, and then one which we're really going to hang our hat on, which is work hard, play hard. Those are the the things that I want to make sure that are are run and driven through the entire aspect of the company, every every aspect, whether it's the person at reception who answers the phone or one of our senior brokers dealing with one of our clients in a very difficult situation. So the ethics and the values of the company are strong. And it's my objective that they will be continually driven in, in everything that we undertake. Awesome. I'm very excited to see where things go. I want to jump into a little bit more of the nitty gritty in terms of the Fraser Valley uh, real estate market, the market that you serve. I'm wondering if you can give just a bit of an overview from your perspective and kind of what you're seeing, maybe in terms of sales volume or certain municipalities receiving more types of sale or land versus industrial. Uh, deviating in some way from what you're expected? And then following up on that, what you see happening in the next six to 12 months in the region? It's no secret that we're operating, uh, commercial real estate is operating in, in a very difficult environment because it is so dependent on the financial markets and the interest rate market in particular. So when you have, you know, values of, of real estate that are are difficult to access because of the financial engineering or the lack thereof. And then you couple that with the high cost of development, you know, a lot of projects, they just don't, they just don't pencil out. In the Fraser Valley, in particular, from from a land perspective, one of the misconceptions is that it is more affordable as a secondary market than, say, the city center. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, when you consider incomes from census data, Surrey and Langley, which are larger municipalities within the Fraser Valley, they have a, a very high average income relative to the rest of, of the region. Another misconception is that there is so much greenfield development land. This was true 20 years ago, but the pace of development is, has absorbed most of these larger parcels that are not within the ALR. 
and there is far less land that is not within the 100-year floodplain and the ALR that most would believe. So it is, you know, a question of supply and demand doesn't seem to be abating for us in the medium to long term, certainly. And finally, I would say one of the misnomers of the Fraser Valley is believing that the suburbs are less dense and more spread out. There is a higher percentage of people living in stratified multifamily buildings in Surrey than in Vancouver, and that has its own dynamic out of that for sure. In the industrial side of things, the sheer amount of land in the Fraser Valley gave the false impression that you know there was almost a safety net to mitigate Metro Vancouver's real estate supply crisis. And, you know, if you were to take an aerial photograph of the Fraser Valley or even some available submarkets, that may give you the sense that there is an abundance of available land, but that's certainly not the case. Industrial nodes uh, in the Fraser Valley are separated into what we call submarkets, and they're severely constrained by surrounding residential and ALR boundaries. And these residential nodes are likely to densify. And although there is speculation that certain ALR areas may be excluded by the Agricultural Land Commission, the chances of seeing anything significant in the near term, I think, is, is unlikely. So we're having a, a, a challenge. We're having a challenge with those microeconomic factors within the Fraser Valley real estate. And then there's obviously the global supply chain risks, which were highlighted during COVID, the pandemic in industrial oriented businesses more than ever are, are now focusing on buying bulk and storing and even manufacturing. And this is exponentially driven up the price of industrial land as the Fraser Valley Industrial Engine relies on land parcels for material storage and commercial uh, vehicle parking. So we're seeing a real shift. We're seeing developers go head to head with end users and often getting priced out. And that results in a knock-on effect in that that particular site's not being developed into badly needed warehousing space. The result then becomes skyrocketing prices over the past three years, which has resulted in the beginnings of significant attention going into other markets, which, you know, are further out, such as uh, Mission, for example. So those areas have been sort of undesirable, are now having to be desirous because of the price point. So we're really looking at a lot of challenges in the industrial space, as well as those factors that I mentioned in the land area. One of the solutions that has come about is having stacked industrial projects. So instead of having one story, we're looking at multiple stories. But, you know, there's challenges with that aspect of it as well. And a lot of it is unknown because, you know, we're going to have to see how buyers and tenants respond to upper floor industrial. It's not something that we've really had as a characterization of our industrial market. And uh, we're anticipating that it's probably going to be a bit of a wash between the developer and the end user, because we're finding that almost all users prefer to be on the first level, even though they moving to the second level would be an enticement in the form of a discounted price 
or rent in order to get them in, which offsets what the developers are hoping hoping to achieve. So we'll see. I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge for us uh, over the next six to 12 months. But there is still demand driven by, you know, a lack of supply primarily. Yeah. I think that's special. I really appreciate that the detail and that explanation. I have not seen the double stacked industrial at all. Where are they doing that? I mean, in the Fraser Valley, there are different nodes that people are looking at. Prologis is a company that's come up from the states that are starting to develop these things. And, you know, they're sort of the guinea pig in the in the space and they're going to be testing it out. We're looking at it very carefully. We know other industrial developers that are looking at it very carefully. And like I said, it's a it's a it's a different animal that we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing one story you know, large parcels of land of of warehouse space. And this is going to be a shift in that mindset. It's going to take enticements to get tenants in that space. It may cost more because the build cost will go up. So we're going to have to see how some of these, um, how some of these pencil out in terms of, you know, what the returns are on, on doing these types of developments. Yeah. Well, I just, I find it fascinating because you know, our businesses across the province, but on the island, especially the South Vancouver Island area, the scarcity is absolute. Like, you know, you got water drenching you in and massive growth in places like Langford and Colwood and View Royal. And they still, you know, they need industrial land. Anyways, haven't seen a lot of innovation in the kinds of, you know, construction inventory that's available. So I really hope that that uh, creates opportunities for island developers uh, or places where there's just, you're landlocked, you know. You know, if we could pull it off, if the if the numbers pencil out, it would be an elegant solution to uh, a very challenging problem. Yeah, well, that is great. Um, so I want to jump into uh, this question just more. I was trying to frame it about how you work with your clients or how you educate your your brokers on on creating win wins. You know, depending on who you're dealing with, the use of the land or the buildings that they're purchasing are different. But when you're, if you can just yeah, give a little bit of a background about how you work to, you know, obviously your business profit maximization is important, but you know, if that's your exclusive focus, then people may not come back every time. So just kind of how you work to, to create win-wins for businesses, often their biggest ever, you know, expenditure. There's a term which uh, I really like, and that's uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And, and that's very much how I perceive how my outlook is on the business. The goal of running a successful brokerage is to ensure that whatever it is that we're doing, we have to keep in mind that we're helping our clients achieve their success. And obviously, if we can do that and we can help our clients through their real estate needs, through what they're trying to develop and and do, they have their own goals in mind and real estate is sort of the medium in which they're they're using to get to those goals and if we can play a part in that then there's no conflict then then we're completely aligned obviously if we do our job right we're going to to do well ourselves and and we have to do well in order to stay in the business and and to grow and to develop but i don't see a conflict between the two and you know, this is an important message that we've been communicating to our clients that we're here to service to their success. And if we do our job right, then we in turn will have success. 
And I think some of the strategies to that involve recruiting the right people. And that's a, a very big focus of mine. We're on a push at the moment to, to do two things, to first of all, expand our service offerings into other asset classes and to do it. And I would even go so far as to say to only do it with people that share fundamentally our principles. And that gets back to the, you know, the ethics and the culture uh, piece that we, we talked about a few minutes ago. In part of this, I think you have answered in a, in a roundabout way, but about just, I think, maintaining relevancy. You've come into this business, you've added, you know, some new components, you're adding service offerings. But, you know, as this process has gone on, is there any particular approaches you've made in terms of maybe reaching out to whether it's politicians or developers or ways that you've tried to be strategic to create long-lasting future opportunities? Well, look, I'm, I'm very lucky in, in that my real estate career has enabled me access to, I'll say, some of the titans in our industry. Being fairly new to the role, it was important for me to lean on some of the folks that were in the industry and still are in the industry. And that, you know, that would include presidents and CEOs of, of other brokerages to get their perspective and to get their advice on certain decisions that I'm, I'm considering, reaching out to some of our key clients and just, you know, having as many touch points to others that play a critical role in the entire industry from consultants, from other brokers, from the, the government side of things, and just trying to stay, as you say, relevant and plugged in and understanding what are the forces that are happening that are impacting the business and how can we as a company better position ourselves and then also get the jump so that we can help our clients and, you know, help accelerate their success. Anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to cover? We know that there's, you know, there's going to be some headwinds in the next few months, but very optimistic, very excited about being at Frontline. Uh, it's a great company. It's got phenomenal foundation that we're going to springboard off of. And our outlook is probably less pessimistic than uh, some of the other ones that I've heard. We seem to be doing a number of deals. I'm not sure whether it's a, a case of, of being firmly planted in the Fraser Valley, which is an area of growth and, and uh, an area of opportunity, but really going to weather this, this next little few months and then get ready to roll when, uh, when the tides change in our favor. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this. Uh, um, and it's, uh, yeah, just very cool. You've got a lot of composure in the delivery of your responses, which is very cool. I get all types here. So, um, very much appreciate your time. So wrap this uh, interview up. I've got four questions and we ask these to each interviewee. So I'm going to start with asking your favorite book. So it's fiction, nonfiction, zero parameters on, on what it is. You can't just hamstring me to, to one. On the nonfiction side, I would say I really enjoyed and have reread Barbarians at the Gate. It's just a fascinating story of, I guess, corporate greed and, and what to avoid when you're looking at that. And then in terms of a pleasure read, 
Rohinton Mysteries, A Fine Balance. That's an incredible read and a, a story that weaves and reminds you of the fragility of life. Favorite app? So just outside of your, you know, your email and day-to-day work ops stuff. Well, I, I th- I'm going to go with the one I use the most, which is, you know, the Starbucks app. <laughs> Best personal advice you've received? And this could be attributed to one person or it could be a collection of or a theme that's really blessed you. I think one that encompasses all is the way you live your life. And, uh, and you should live, um, or I try and live my material life as if I'm going to live forever and to live my spiritual life as if I'm going to die tomorrow. I love that. And favorite restaurant in the Fraser Valley? You know, one of my close friends is is Mo Jessa. I don't know if you know him, but he's the president and CEO of the Earl's group of companies. So I think I better go with any one of the restaurants under the Earl's brand. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. 